Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Peter took his fishing pole. It was probably a fancy one for the time period, you know. I think it was fancy because remember, Peter, he used to be a professional fisherman. It's what he did for a job. I bet it was a long one made out of the best wood, the best fishing pole he could get. And it probably had a fishing line made out of the fanciest flax or linen. And then he had a nice big hook right on the end of the line made from bone. And he took that pole and he threw it into the Sea of Galilee, looking to catch a fish. Now, usually Peter fished with a net, but today, because Jesus requested it, Peter was fishing with a hook and a pole. It was a strange request made by Jesus, but Peter had begun to realize to not doubt Jesus and to simply do as he asked. If you do it, you will be fine. You've got to trust. It's called faith. It's when you start looking around at the sea, at the waves, at the circumstances, that's when you get in trouble. I think Peter was learning bit by bit through the experiences he's had with Jesus, like the time he attempted to walk on water and nearly drowned in the process, right? Peter's learning little by little that he needs to just trust, to just have faith that Jesus knows best. Don't we all need to learn that lesson? Well, Jesus asked Peter to go fishing with a rod and a line and a hook. So that is why Peter's here. So Peter gets out his pole, digs in a bag, and pulls out a nice juicy worm and attaches it to the end of the hook. Then, like I said, Peter tosses that line into the water of the Sea of Galilee. Then he waits for a miracle to occur right in front of him. Now, what miracle is this? And and why did Jesus ask Peter to go fishing in this way? Well, have I got a story for you about faith and about something as exciting as taxes? Earlier, Jesus had gathered the disciples in a town around the Sea of Galilee. And as they were gathered together, Jesus, for the second time in his ministry, told his disciples that he, Jesus, was going to be killed, but that he would arise from the dead. But this time, Jesus added, for the first time in recorded scripture, that he would first be betrayed. Someone was going to betray Jesus. Jesus said that. A friend? One of the disciples? I wonder if these questions were going through the minds of the disciples. Somebody that was friendly to Jesus was going to betray him? Is that what he's saying? Someone was going to just stab Jesus in the back and give him over to the hands of men who were trying to kill him? And I, I wonder if all these questions were going through the disciples' minds as they looked at each other. And I can imagine Thomas mouthing the words to Matthew, betray. What is he talking about? 
Who's going to give him up? I don't know. I can imagine the mouthing, this conversation back and forth. And then Jesus said he was going to be killed. What? I imagine John thinking, killed? That can't be right. Jesus is the Messiah. I just saw him transfigured is what John's thinking, or maybe even James or Peter. You know, they just saw Jesus transfigured on that mountain, right? Talking with Moses and Elijah. There is no way that the same Jesus who just showed his divinity and, and all his glory is going to be killed by men. Can it be? And then Jesus adds that on the third day, he will be raised. Woo! This is good news. This is awesome news. He's going to be raised on the third day. But I wonder if Peter or Andrew or Nathaniel or any of the disciples were now completely confused. Jesus is going to be killed, betrayed by someone, and then in three days... Jesus will be raised? What, what does all that mean? I can imagine the disciples began to discuss among themselves. What does he mean? Well, I don't know. What do you think he means? What does it mean to be raised? Resurrection? Does that make sense? I imagine one of them brings up the fact that the Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection. And maybe someone else argues, oh, no, no, that can't be right. They're wrong. And the Pharisees are right. And they start debating back and forth. What does he mean by rise? And is there such a thing as resurrection? And then, you know, I can imagine Thaddeus starts to cry or Andrew, you know, someone starts to cry because Jesus said for sure one thing we know that he's going to be killed. The disciples, instead of focusing on the resurrection part, right? That, you know, he's going to rise. He's going to be resurrected on the third day. No, instead of that, they focused on the killed part. Because the Bible says after Jesus told them this news that they were distressed. They were incredibly sad and distraught. Well, that's how Jesus leaves them, I guess. At this point, he leaves him depressed, confused, not certain of what the future is going to hold. I wonder if some of the disciples, not of the twelve, of course, but some of the outer hanger-on type disciples decided to quit following him at that point. I'm not certain, but all I know is the next time we meet them, they are in the town of Capernaum. Now, they're probably there getting supplies to go back and minister to the area towns because Capernaum was sort of like a hub that Jesus and his disciples used to minister to the towns around the Sea of Galilee. Well, here they are, back in Capernaum. And why they are there, we're not certain. But while they're there, some local Jewish officials pull Peter aside and they ask him if Jesus has paid the temple tax yet. Because they know Jesus hadn't. And they know Peter hadn't paid it either. And hey, you know what? If you don't pay the temple tax, you're not a good Jew. You're not obeying the law. Why hasn't Jesus paid the temple tax? Now, the temple tax was a two drachma tax that every male Jew between the ages of 20 and 50 years of age had to pay toward the maintenance of the temple. 
you would pay this tax and it would go towards the maintenance of the temple in Jerusalem and all the services and all the other stuff that had to be done that cost money while well, this tax went towards it. According to custom, every Jew 20 years old and above was required to pay this temple tax each year to help support the temple. Well, these tax officials found Peter. The question about the Lord not paying his tax implied that Jesus is not keeping the law. Well, Peter responds with, yeah, he's going to pay the tax. We are in total compliance with the law, so don't worry. Well, the tax officials leave, and I wonder if Peter thinks, well, I haven't paid it, and I, is Jesus planning to pay it? And he's perfect. I know he's not going to sin by not paying the tax, and I can imagine Peter leaves them and he's a little confused and he probably went into his house to find Jesus and ask him why he had not paid his temple tax yet. But before he could ask, Jesus found Peter first and asks him this simple question. Hey, Peter, what do you think? From whom do earthly kings collect tariffs or taxes? From their sons or from their strangers? Matthew 17, verse 25. Let me repeat it again. It's a bit of a complicated question. Jesus asks Peter, Hey, Peter, from whom do earthly kings collect tariffs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? You know, I can imagine Peter thought about it for a moment. Well, you know, certainly kings don't collect taxes from their own family. I mean, the king's sons and wives, uncles and brothers, they've got to be exempt from the tax. No, they wouldn't pay. So, hey, the correct answer, the correct answer has to be strangers, right? Total strangers. Yep, yep. So Peter answers strangers. That's who the king collects taxes from. Total strangers. To which Jesus replies in Matthew 17, verse 26, then the sons are free. See, Jesus' point was that as the sons of the king are exempt from the taxes their fathers impose, so he, as the son of God, is exempt from the taxes father imposed, right? The temple tax was imposed by God the Father, but he, Jesus, God the Son, was not meant to pay it. Or at least he didn't have to pay the temple tax. Since the temple belonged to God the Father, since this tax was to be used to keep the temple up, then Jesus, the Son of God, was not required to pay it. That's what Jesus was saying. Jesus essentially was teaching Peter this one thing. I think this was the main point that Jesus is trying to get across to Peter. I am the Son of God. I'm the Son of God. I don't think this interesting story has anything to do with who do we owe money to, who do we not owe money to as Christians, who should we pay taxes to, who should we not pay taxes to. I think Jesus is teaching Peter, I don't have to pay that tax because I'm the king's son. And if I'm the king's son, Peter, you know what that means? I am the Son of God. You have divinity standing right there in front of you, Peter. Jesus' dad is God. It's God the Father. That's why Jesus doesn't have to pay the tax.
I wonder, has that truth hit Peter smack between the eyes? I wonder if Peter immediately knelt in honor of being in the presence of God. I wonder if Jesus then made Peter stand, and then I can imagine Jesus smiling. Then made Peter's day, because Jesus asked Peter to go do something he loves to do. To go do something he was probably going to do anyway. You know what that was? To go fishing. Remember, Peter was a professional fisherman. He loved to go fishing because Jesus says to Peter, but so we won't offend them, go to the sea, cast in a fish hook, and take the first fish that you catch. When you open its mouth, you'll find a coin. Take it and give it to them for me and for you. Matthew 17, verse 27. Think about it. He was to throw out a line and, and, and catch a fish. And this fish would have in its mouth a specific coin. One coin. And it had to be enough to pay for two, two drachma taxes, right? So two plus two equals four. So this had to be a four drachma coin that would be found in a fish's mouth just randomly in the Sea of Galilee, and it would be the exact amount Peter needed to pay the tax for himself and for Jesus. So here we are back at the beginning of the story. Peter sitting at the end of the dock with a fishing pole in the water. You can imagine he's looking around. It's probably a beautiful day. And then he feels it. A tug on the line, and in response, Peter pulls and sets the hook, catching the fish. And then Peter reels it in, and there, wiggling in the sun, is a fish. Probably some small carp of some kind. And then Peter leans forward, grabs the line, and then works the fish off the hook. And then he lays it down, takes out his knife, and ends the life of the fish, sadly. And then sticks his finger into the fish's mouth, and there, a coin. A coin in a fish's mouth. What a miracle. He pulls it out. And not only is it a coin, it is just enough that he needs to pay the tax a four drachma coin, just as Jesus promised. You know, it's interesting. This is one of many miracles that Jesus performed for Peter. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. He helps him catch fish. He enables Peter to walk on water. He heals later on Malchus's ear right in front of Peter. And way later on, after he's ascended, he delivers Peter from prison. Jesus took care of his children, his family. And what a unique and wonderful way that Jesus provided for his children's needs. And not only that, Jesus had a teachable moment to boot. This is an amazing miracle. A coin in a fish's mouth. And it was also a really cool, amazing story. And I think it was moments like this that helped to strengthen the faith of Peter, to move him from a man of little faith, like we talked about last week, right? To one of big faith. It would later lead to Peter being able to write 
1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. You know what that verse says? It says this. Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. He cares enough to provide for his children in ways that they need, right? They needed to pay that tax. But not only that, he provides for his children in ways that bring them joy. Peter loves to go fishing. God took care of Peter in a joyful, wonderful, amazing way. And I just want to encourage you, I don't know what stresses in life you're facing. But do know this. Casting all your cares upon him. For he cares for you. Let's be like Peter. Let's grow in our faith. And let's also expect Jesus to provide for us, his children, in ways that will amuse and make a smile appear on our faces. Man, we serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the almighty Lord and Savior who is returning one day, who provides for his children in ways that bring us joy. What a wonderful Savior we serve. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.